You guys ready for the word today? Amen. Let's pray one more time. And we will dive in. So, Father, thank you today for your word. God, we're a people that believe it wholeheartedly from Genesis to Revelation. And, Lord, we just pray today, God, that you would just stretch our capacity to walk with you. God, that you would stretch our capacity to know you and to know, God, literally when you walk in the room and know when you're, when you're moving and where you're moving and how you're moving. God, that you would begin to speak to us in such intimate ways. Father, we just pray today. God, that we would be a people that would not stand in front of an open veil. But, God, we would be people that would have courage to walk in and to just hang out with you and to be with you. God, we today just pray that you would give us the courage to have intimate walks with you. And so, Lord, today, thank you for your anointing. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome in this place to come and do whatever you want to do. You are the teacher. Come and teach today. And we're not afraid uh, for you to mess with our religion. We're not afraid with you to mess with our tradition and our legalism, Lord, to even our goofiness. Lord, we just believe, God, that you have the ability to just... Uh, to lead us and guide us in the right way. In fact, Lord, your word says in Isaiah, even if we stray to the left or the right, we'll still hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us in that kind of way today. This is the way, walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Listen, uh, for the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about putting a greater focus or a greater emphasis on prayer. Somebody say prayer. Listen, in this sense, not just corporately or collectively as a church, yes, that, but also putting more of an emphasis on prayer in our own personal lives. And I just believe that as we're going through this, that God wants to do some amazing things. In fact, I believe that he wants to begin to redefine how many of us look at prayer. And I think he wants to redefine how many of us approach prayer. And if I can kind of give a a thought there before we get rolling today, we said two weeks ago that prayer isn't just a bunch of asking. Right. How many times do we as as Christians uh, approach God like he's some genie in the bottle or he's some wishing well that we could throw a coin in there and make a wish and we just expect it to be done. And that's what really, I guess, defines what our prayer life is. It's just us coming to God, bowing our head for a minute and asking God for these list of things that we want. And the truth is, is if we view prayer as that, we're really missing the point. Amen. Because prayer, once again, is more than asking. Prayer is about relationship. Jesus invited us. He died for us so that we would have a relationship with him and not just some, uh, once again, some slot machine to pull and get what we want. Amen. Amen. So there's this thing of where we're talking about prayer. I I want us to, once again, stretch our capacity the way we view prayer and, and see it like this, that God wants to begin to redefine how we see him. And he wants to redefine how we approach him. Amen. Amen. So let me maybe even say this. Revival is this, and and that may be a familiar concept to some of you, and it may not be to others. But revival is basically not among the lost, the unbeliever. Revival happens among the church, meaning this, that there's people that have lost the fire, that have lost the passion to walk with God and to know God. And what happens is, is God begins to move on their hearts. And if I can maybe say it this way, if you look throughout church history, It doesn't matter if it's in the first awakening, the second awakening, if it's in the Welsh revival, if it's in the the revival that happened in the Hebrides, or if it what happened in in Pensacola or Brownsville, Florida years ago, and there are many others, the the Kenwick revival, all those things. If you study all of that, there's few things that mark those revivals. In other words, there's common denominators. And, And one of them is this, is that the small group of people begin to pray. And now they begin to pray, but they begin to, if you will, pull in heaven so much that heaven begin to come down. And the next thing that marked every genuine revival is this, is repentance. And that, that somewhere along the line that people begin to get a greater awareness of who God is and then of who they are in that light. 
You, you know, it's kind of like this. I was talking to an individual the other day. You know, most people, they view themselves as, well, I'm a good person, right? We, we're having some mic issues. Just kind of work with us, okay? We, we, we were doing some things Wednesday night. We swapped it back. We'll fix it as we go. So, anyways, most people think themselves as a good person. In other words, they do this. You, you know, they, they go and say, okay, well, I compare myself to Roger. Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's an example, okay? So, so I'm doing pretty good. And, and so it's kind of like this. I heard somebody say one time, it's like it, when people compare themselves to other people, it's almost like trees behind it. That sheep looks really white and it really sticks out. They go, wow, that, that thing's amazing. I remember as a kid, they took us to a little petting zoo. Man, those things stink, right? They paint them like they're all fluffy and cute, but man, they are not. They reek, okay? And you look at the wool and the wool is just really mad and it's gross and it stinks, Right? That's really us when the snow of heaven falls and we begin to compare ourselves, not to other people, but we compare ourselves to Jesus. We see, man, I'm not that clean and I kind of stink. There's that thing, that scripture that says it will soar like eagles, right? And what's the last one on that? Basically, I'll crawl and I'll not grow faint. And it's that thing that our Christian walk should not be some decline. It should be an incline. I've had moments in my life where I thought, Man, I've really, I've really matured and I've calmed down. No, I lost the fire, to be honest, right? A passion is something that expands and passion grows, right? Now, I may do things smarter than what I used to do, obviously, when you grow. But there is no spot where, you know, so many people go, when I first came to Jesus, I was like this. And now somehow just I got dignified, Right, and I don't know. You know, in my mind, once again, and I'm a little strange. I get that, but as I always go back to David, when David said, basically, "You think I'm undignified? I could be more undignified than this." Yes. In other words, the longer we walk in God, the less we should care about what everybody else thinks, and the more we should care about what God thinks. Amen. All right. Amen. All right. Just a thought there. All right. So listen, when we kind of been going through this, it's been a little different for me because the focus is in this series or whatever you want to call it, has been really simple and really practical. And and it's not been some, here's the subject we want to talk about, it's been all these random thoughts. I mentioned that last week. We're going to kind of do that again today. I really want to sit on a few thoughts, mainly two big ones, and hopefully I'll communicate them well enough so they'll make sense. All right? So as I've just been praying over the past few weeks, there's two two verses that have really just grabbed my heart, and we're going to start there today. The first one is this, and I actually mentioned it last week, but it's Psalms 109, verse 4. It simply says this. It's almost so simple, I think we can miss the power of it. You ever done that? It says, but I give myself to prayer. With me, when I read scriptures like that, it's like when I'm reading Typically, there's a word in a verse that will just, just like, like it just grabs me and it just messes with me. And it's the word, not prayer, it's actually the word give. But I give myself to prayer. When I read that, you know, I couldn't help but to wonder what would happen in our lives if we gave ourselves, if we gave ourselves to a lifestyle of prayer. Now, once again, prayer is not focused on asking. Prayer is focused on being with him. It's focused on relationships. So look at it in this light. What would happen if I gave myself to worshiping him? What would happen if I gave myself to meditating on the word of God and then declaring the word of God over my life? What would happen if I gave myself to interceding for others? If I gave myself to really confessing my sins, 
right, and being vulnerable for, before the Lord, confessing my sins, and then really repenting of them and asking God to help me turn from them. What would happen if I gave myself to listening to his voice and then actually obeyed what I heard? What would happen if I gave myself, and I think this is hard for us sometimes, uh, to just being thankful, what would happen if I actually gave myself to praying in the Spirit lengthy periods of time and just went, okay, I'm all in? Then what would happen if we really gave ourselves to prayer as our families? What I'm saying is, is that no longer would I be satisfied with just going in there and just saying some quick prayer and then getting out. But what would happen if I gave myself to that? It's almost like this. You know, there's many of us in this room that are married or have been married. At an altar, at one point in time, you gave yourself to an individual, right? When, when you gave yourself to that individual, did you say, being, being married, and you made that commitment, did you say, okay, every you know, Tuesday I'll, I'll hit you up for five minutes? I'll text you on Thursday. <laughs> Are, yeah? If you're a man, you know that won't fly, Right? <laughs> It's not going to fly. So there's that piece of going, you know, what, I, what if I gave myself literally to being and being with God and knowing God? What would change? What would be the outcome? You know, follow me? Let, let me. let me maybe say it like this. For some of us, that depression that's hung around a long time would be broken. For some of us, that sin that we just can't get free from would be broken. Listen, there is no magical formula. It's just being with him and then the power of God responds and something breaks on us. We want a quick fix deal because we live in a quick fix world. But when you just have a relationship with God, guess what? All that can really, it can really change. Yes? Amen. So whatever. I mean, I'm just throwing out a few things, but it's like just kind of name it. But I think overall, let me say what would really happen because the, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what comes with just walking with him. That you'd be righteous, right? And not just because, get this, yeah, Jesus made us righteous, but I'm righteous. Y'all follow me? Yes, that there's an inner purity there. You know, that verse that says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's fun, right? So then there would be joy. Wouldn't that be nice? Peace. Wouldn't that be nice? Amen. So let me, let me kind of throw something out at you here. I don't feel like I need to share this, and I don't. And this may just be to encourage somebody. But a little small change has been happening in my own house. I've been walking with the Lord, I think maybe 20 years now. And Jen's, I think she was born saved. I don't know. It, anyways, but that is a joke. All right. So anyway, she's she's just she's just always grew up in the church. I grew up very opposite from her. I had a radical conversion, got saved, all of that. But you know, before we ever met, both of us had really committed personal prayer lives. But since we've been married, we've only prayed together very sporadically. And I'm not too happy about that, but, but we have. You know, there's been that piece that, that obviously it's you pray, I pray, and we're not avoiding each other, but we've just never been intentional in coming together. So, I mean, obviously when needs would arise in our family, we would pray together or somebody would text us, call, whatever, and say, hey, can, this is going on. Can you pray for us? Obviously we gather up everybody, okay, let's pray, and we get at it, right? So it's not like we're afraid to do that around each other. Every day, obviously, we're like many of you guys. We pray for our meal, and, uh, you know, we pray for our kids to go to bed, and we pray with them and all that stuff. But, but lately, and I think we're like day 50, like 50, I think today's 53, 
we have intentionally said, okay, we're going to do a devotion together and we're going to pray together. Now, and what happens is, is one day Jen will read, I'll pray. The next day I'll read, she'll pray. Isn't it funny how, let's be honest, how many years was I intimidated to pray in front of my wife? Don't look at me like you ain't there too, right? <laughs> and that, I, mean, I mean, I've led thousands of people in prayer. But to go, okay, let's, let's get here and let's get vulnerable and honest of how much there, that, that side of going, will I be rejected? I know the answer is no. I know who's planting that thought there. And it's even this. You know me better than anybody knows me. And I'm going to come pray with you. <laughs> right? Is that too honest? Anyway, so there's this side that lately we've been going, okay, we're going to pray. I think we've missed one day in the last 53 days, okay? And, uh, and that was my fault. I'll own it. So, anyways, she went to sleep and I stayed up and we didn't do it. But, anyways, even, even lately we've had people stay at our house 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock. We still, okay, we made a commitment to this. Let's do it. And, and I wanted you to know today that there's not, you know, some dramatic change has not happened in our house. But something's changed. You know, something is, is shifting. It's shifted and it's shifting. And, and what's happened is I know, I know it's going to happen. It's like we're, we're in the baby stages of thing, and it's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Am I making sense to you guys? Anyways, I, I think that's such a mark of how our Christian walks go is, you know, so often we look for these big womb moments. But it's, and those moments do happen, thank God, right? But most of our, our time with God is just these little Little shifts, little decisions that we make that ultimately 20 years down the road get us in the spot. Yes? That's really where maturity happens. Here, if I can maybe give it to you like this. Many of us got kids. You know, if your kid's in second grade, you don't expect something dramatic to happen in one day, and now they're obviously in college trigonometry the next day. Right? It's progressive. Or school teachers in here, there's progressive learning. It's the same thing in the spirit. And And we gradually grow and we gradually mature. Amen. That's why you got to be patient. Be patient with yourself. Amen. All right. So, all right, here's another verse that's grabbed my attention, and this is where we really want to go today. All right, so it's Hebrews 4.16. Very familiar passage. I think I actually read it the other day, too. But it says, let us then approach. Somebody say approach. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say approach. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Your version may say boldness, and actually like what the Amplified said, it says, let's approach God's throne fearlessly and confidently. And then it says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Once again, there's a word in there that grabbed me, and it's that word approach. And there's the question, because I'm very much of a question kind of guy, is God, what hinders us from approaching you? We all have it, right? So, listen, we all have things that hinder us from approaching God. In other words, that somehow rob us of our time with him, our confidence in him, all those things. And I mentioned two quickly last week, and so we'll breeze by them real fast. The first one is this, is we're too busy. We're going to get heart mode here. This is just practical. We're too busy. The truth is, is if you're breathing in here, you're too busy. Right? Once again, we live in a society that keeps us going, keeps us occupied. And it takes serious discipline to be able to unplug from everything that's going on around us just to be with him. It takes serious discipline. Amen? Because, listen, anytime you get bored, there's always a different option. Great place to say amen. The second thing there is this, or let me throw this actually out there. One thing that kind of convicts me or grabs my attention in that, has anybody ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? Okay, so Martin Luther made this comment one time. He said this. He said, I am too busy not to pray. 
I am too busy not to pray. And it's in this sense. And the way he was wording it is, is I'm trying to do all this stuff for God. But he recognized I can do all this stuff for God and keep myself busy. But at the end of the day, I need God in every bit of that. Amen. So listen, it's not we got to get out of our head that I need God in this box but I don't need him in this box, this box, this box. No, you need God in every box. In fact, there is only one box, and God's in it with you, and everything comes from that. Amen? So, so you need him. And then if I could say this to some of you guys uh, that are in here, this is not for everybody, but some of you, there's a quote that says this, and I've said it before, but that, um, make sure I say it right, the intimacy always precedes fruitfulness. What does that mean? Intimacy always precedes fruitfulness. If you've got a kid, you know what that means. Right? Intimacy came before fruitfulness. But so often in the church, because we're busy for God, we try to get fruitfulness without being intimate. And I want you to know, just as that doesn't work in the natural, it doesn't work in the spiritual realm either. Are you all with me? In other words, your effectiveness will not be as much as it is if you learn to spend time with him. And from that intimate spot, you flow out of that. Amen? All right, here we go. Let's move. Second one I gave you was this, is a lack of vulnerability. And that's just simply this. It has to do with our staying power. In prayer, we, we get in a hurry too much. We rush in, we rush out. And, and I've learned it's just because we don't want to learn how to wait upon the Lord because many of us are afraid if we wait upon the Lord, what he'll show us. Is that okay to say that? It's all like, man, if I go in there and I just, oh, God, forgive me. Okay, let me get out of there before you deal with me. I feel, whoo, okay, I made it. But that's not how you build relationship. You know, I mean, once again, fellas, I'll pick on you guys. Imagine rolling in your house on Wednesday, slapping your wife a high five. Not going to go well. Hang out a while, right? Amen? All right, here we go. Now, let's go number three. In fact, that if, I was gonna, if anybody was going to ask me what's the number one reason people don't pray, I would say this, because they don't know how to. Because they don't know how to pray. I want to encourage you in this, and I hope this really encourages some of you guys so get the heart i'm not going to get super theological here but just get the heart look at luke 11 1 through 2 it says this it says now it came to pass as he jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased in other words he stopped praying for me he took a breath it says that one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray somebody say to pray it says, as John also taught his disciples, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. That's huge for where we're going in a minute for our fourth point. But the first thing I want you to notice is this. They said, Lord, teach me to pray. I'm going to go a different angle than the way I normally go at this verse. Normally, I focus on that they came and said this. You know, you go down the line. They never said, teach us how to cast out a devil, teach us how to raise the dead, teach us how to pray the gospel. Teach us. They said one thing, teach us how to pray because everything else evolved around from that, right? But the key here that I want us to look at today is they said, teach us how or teach me to pray. And here's what I want to encourage you is to not get so caught up in the how that you never do the two. Am I making sense? Then, in other words, you don't get so intimidated and discouraged by the how that you never actually go pray. I think that's the case for many people. And once again, because they're, they just, once they go, I can't do it. And it's almost like they accept failure before they begin. So it's like the invitation comes out, but it's almost like they go, I don't, I don't know what to wear. I can't go. In fact, you know what the number one reason why people don't go to church? Because they say, I don't, I don't have anything to wear. That's why this guy preaches in blue jeans. Because I don't want everybody, anybody to ever feel that. Right? That we're not about this. We're about this. Amen? So 
So sitting there and they go, you know what, once again, because people don't know how to pray, they just don't pray. But the truth is, is that when we position ourselves, get that, when we position ourselves to pray in our hearts, we get the right atmosphere. What I mean by that? In other words, that we just make time where we're not distracted by a thousand other things. When we do that, watch this. If you set yourself to pray and you follow your heart and your prayer time and just pray what's coming in your heart, guess what? God will use those two things to teach you how to pray. Am I making sense to you? In other words, it's almost like it's a, um, he goes, okay, let's go. Let me teach you. And as you walk with him, he begins to drop things in your heart and you begin to pray things. In fact, many people, I'll just encourage you with this. Many people have found themselves when they just gave themselves to pray, that they begin to pray scriptures and the will of God and things like that that they've never even read. Why? Because their spirit man is in relationship with God and God began to drop things in their spirit and they just begin to pray once again what the will of God is because God was leading them in their prayer. Am I making sense to you guys? So I want you to understand this today. I want to throw it up there, that your praying is more important than how you pray. So the fact that you pray is more important than how you pray. So please don't, what I'm trying to tell you is this, everybody look at me, look at me, is that you quit using the excuse, I don't know how. I don't know what to say. Just go talk to him, right? Is he real? Is he real? Obviously, is there, is there a proper theology of prayer? Yes. But I don't want you to get all concerned with that at the moment. Okay, obviously there's things like we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Obviously that's a biblical protocol in prayer. All right, but let me kind of encourage you in this. I remember when I was learning how to pray. Like I said, I got saved 20 years ago. When I got saved, I knew I was supposed to go to the discipleship program. And they said, okay, and I've told you guys this before. They said, we're going to start off every day with an hour of prayer. Holy smokes. Talk about intimidating and discouraging. I never prayed in my life. I just knew I got saved and God told me to go to this place. And you're going to tell me I've got to go stare at a wall for an hour? I can't even talk to anybody in the room, <laughs> right? That's hard. So I like to talk. So they said, okay, you're going to pray. And I remember on my journey of that, and I'm saying this to encourage you. I remember one day, and this is kind of what I'm going to help, want to maybe encourage you with, is I begin to listen to people that I saw Jesus in. In other words, people that I admired their Christian walk, I admired their relationship with God. When they prayed, I began to listen because they had something that I wanted. And in fact, in other words, let me say that they had a connection that I wanted. And I remember actually one day, I might have told you guys this. I can't remember where I tell half the things I say. So I remember one night we were at the church. And it was probably... I don't know, 8, 9 o'clock, something like that. We was only a few of us from the ministry school there. And our assistant director, his name was Dan. And, and I just thought Dan was, oh, right? Man, that guy's got it, right? He's just passionate. He loves God. And he, I saw him go in the sanctuary, and I knew he was going to go pray. So I snuck in, and I crawled. All the lights were off, right? And I crawled up underneath about the fifth pew in the back, and I listened for an hour. And, and here's what was so awesome about that is because it wasn't in front of anybody. There wasn't an audience. It wasn't about the right things somebody was trying to say. It was just one man pouring his heart out to God. And I listened to him pour his heart out to God. And through hearing him do that, it gave me permission 
to find my own rhythm in prayer. It gave me permission to kind of find my own voice in, in prayer. That it was okay to say those things that he is praying to God. Because, you know, once again, I made fun of people last week, but those people, God become as humble as we know how. There was none of that. It was just raw. Here it is. And, and once again, if he's our papa, if he's our dad, if he's our best friend, if he's our lover, all those things that the Bible says that he is, all that speaks to just vulnerability, honesty, and openness, and here it is. Right? We're hiding nothing. Am I making sense to you guys? And, and so that's the way we approach God, and we don't talk to him, once again, like he's 10,000 miles away. We talk to him like he's sitting right there because he is because he lives inside of us. And I talk to him like I talk to my best friend. Yes? So it's kind of like this. Quit making it so difficult. <laughs> yeah? Amen. So simple. All right, here we go. The, the second thing I, re, I remember in the same year that I hit up underneath that pew, uh, we were on our way to do some ministry. And I was riding in the prop van because we did dramas. Thank God I don't have to do dramas anymore. Is, uh, as I was sitting in the van with Israel Jane. And Israel was the real deal. Israel's an awesome guy. And uh, I remember just... I'd hop in that van with him trip after trip after trip, and I would wear him out with questions. Because, once again, he had something that I wanted. And, you know, he had a little bit of jump on me. His parents were Christians. He grew up in church. He didn't always walk with God, but he was definitely on fire for God in that season. And, and I began to ask him one day, I said, I said, Israel, how do you pray? And I remember Israel talking about, hey, Quentin, look, take your, take your Bible, grab a psalm, grab a proverb, grab a verse in the Bible. We had to memorize 400 verses that year. There was plenty to grab, right? Grab those things and make them personal and begin to pray those scriptures. So what I begin to do is I begin to flip over to a psalm, and I would just own it and make it mine. I'd borrow David's prayer. Am I making sense to you today? So I've got tons of things running through my head right now. But, but anyway, so just grab any of those. Father, I thank you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? I thank you that your thoughts are as many as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I mean, you can go anyways from verse one, I mean, chapter 1 all the way through. There's plenty in there to pray. Amen? So let me tell you why that's important, and then we'll get to where I really, really want to go today. First John five fourteen through 15. It's a great verse about prayer. It says, now this is the confidence. Somebody say confidence. Get that. We're supposed to have a confidence when we become pray. Amen? Not some I, I hope and I wish, but a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Let me ask you a question today. What is his will? Where can we find his will? It's in his word. It's in his, so if you want to know the will of God, open up the Bible. There it is. Amen. And so what, what he's saying here is, man, if you, if you ask according to my word, and then it says in verse 15, it says, and if we know that he hears us, right, that confidence, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Let me show you another verse. John 15, 7. It says, if you abide in me, that's giving yourself to prayer, by the way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Now, let me stop there. As a young believer, I thought, man, well, I desire that. Wrong. What happens is, is when you hang out with God, you begin to learn his desires. You begin to learn his will. If you abide in him, he is the word, and then the word abides in you. You get a really good idea of what's the will of God. And because you know the will of God, guess what? You begin to ask. And it says this, and it says what? And you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So that right there, guys, if you're looking in your life and you go, 
man, I want to be in agreement with God, pray the book. Pray the book. That's how you get in agreement with God. Amen? All right, last thing. Now i got to hustle. I've already went longer than I wanted to. What a shocker. Fourth thing, and I hope I can explain this well. I'm going to give you a small piece. If you were actually here when I came and interviewed for the job, I shared a piece of this. But this right here has been the biggest thing that has hindered me personally in prayer. And sometimes I still find myself going to default settings, and I have to remind myself what I'm about to share with you. Number four is this. It's orphan thinking. I'll go a little deeper here. It's orphan thinking. If you can throw that next part up there, I'm going to read something to you. Because obviously the opposite is sonship, Okay. But it says, if we realize it or not, we either live our lives as if we have a home. Where's our home? It's in the Father's embrace. It's in the Father's presence. Or we live our lives as if we don't have a home. That would be an orphan, right? It says, we either live our lives feeling safe, secure, and at rest. Get that. Safe, secure, and at rest in the Father's heart, experiencing his love and giving it away. Or... We live our lives with apprehension and uncertainty, struggling constantly with the fear of trusting, the fear of rejection, and the fear of opening up our hearts to who? To receive his love. Get that. That's orphan thinking. Orphan thinking is, once again, has a fear of trusting God, a fear of being rejected by God, and a fear of opening up their hearts to God. Are you all with me? So let me tell you real quick about my journey. Here we go. I'm going to go fast. So hang tight with me here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, therefore we make it our aim. Somebody say aim. That's our goal, our target, however you want to word it, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing. Somebody say pleasing. To be pleasing to him. During this time of my life, and this was probably, I don't know, three, four years ago, I have probably prayed that verse maybe more than any verse I've ever prayed in the Bible. In fact, I would pray that thing maybe a hundred times a day. So there's no doubt I prayed that thing well over a thousand times that, that I would pray and I would say, God, please help me to live a life pleasing to you. That's important as a believer. Yes, we all agree with that. God, help me to live a life pleasing to you. And then one day I began to understand that in my thinking of what I really meant, let me maybe say it this way, that God began to show me that my heart in praying what I was praying was right, but my understanding of what I was praying was wrong. Let me explain. Because I found myself asking God, God, somehow when I leave this prayer closet, will you help me to do what I'm supposed to do and not do what I'm not supposed to do? So hopefully by the end of the day, I've somehow done enough to earn your love. And God said, that's wrong. See, here's what happened is is in my own life, I began to be driven by performance and Christianity. And performance is always based off what? It's always based off fear. Once again, a fear of trusting, a fear of rejection, and a fear of receiving the Father's heart and the Father's love. Because fear was my motivation, here's what I did. I constantly was striving to be accepted and loved. Because I was afraid of being rejected like I was by certain other aspects of my life. Because I was afraid of being rejected there. I continually thought, man, if I work harder for God, hopefully somehow I can be accepted. And it's almost like this, that I worked and tried to do things, try to pray enough, read enough, do a good enough, do all those things that we all get caught up in, that hopefully at the end of the day that I could prove myself to be worthy of God's love. Has anybody ever been there? So one day, hanging out with the Lord, uh, he showed me this verse, Matthew three sixteen and 17. Look at this with me. 
It says, when he had been baptized of some of Jesus, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And it says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. The Lord began to challenge me when he showed me that day. He said, Quentin, what did Jesus done at that time? And I began to go down my list of what I thought a Messiah, who a Messiah is. Well, he ain't saved nobody. He ain't healed nobody. He ain't delivered anybody. He ain't done a miracle. And God said, so he hasn't done anything, but yet here I am saying I am pleased with him. And then he began to show me that it was the same thing for me. Am I making any sense? That here I am, right, that on my own I'm trying all these things in my effort to somehow please him. And God is saying, look, Jesus hadn't did anything of what everybody else expected from him, but yet I'm pleased with him. But yet you're trying to do all these things, what you think I expect. See, see, it was this thing of, of this that Jesus began to remind me of John one twelve, and I think we'll throw it up there real quick. But it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving who? Receiving Jesus. So it's that understanding that the son made a way for me to be a son. So simple. That the son made a way for me to be a son, but he didn't just, once again, because I'm in Jesus... Right? And the Bible said that, that I am in Jesus because the Father is pleased with him. He's pleased with me. Amen. Close the book. We're done. Right? Let me show you this. The funny part was is if anybody came and asked me, hey, Quentin, do you see yourself as a child of God? Absolutely. And that was the thing. I, I, mentally, I mentally knew that I was a son of God. But in my heart, I found out that I had the same mentality of the prodigal son. Let me explain to you here. And, and, you know, many of you guys know Luke 15. We all know that the son, he had two sons, right? That's what it said. One of the sons came to him and said, hey, give me your inheritance. Give me my inheritance, right? In other words, he said, I wish you had died so I could get my stuff. That's what happened in that culture. The father gave him his stuff. We all know he went out. Prodigal actually means uh, wasteful. That's what it means. And he went and he wasted his inheritance, and what happened was, is the Bible says that basically when he ran out of everything, his friends were going, he didn't have any money. Obviously, went and worked at a farm, and it says he joined himself with a foreigner, right? And that could preach maybe another time. But uh, that, that he joined himself to a foreigner, and that he began to say, man, if I could only eat what the pigs got. And then it says that he came to his senses and said, my father's servants have more than I got right now. And then it picks up to my mentality I had. Watch this in verse 18, Luke 15, 18. It says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Don't miss this, gang. As crazy as it sounds, I never questioned my salvation all that. But what happened was is I was constantly approaching God in prayer as if I was coming over that hill, head hung down in shame, Somehow saying, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Am I making sense, y'all? But here's what's funny. I didn't do that once. I did that daily. I literally approached God like that daily, daily. Occasionally, you get a good day and you feel, whoo, feel good about myself, right? And, and, and you're good. But every day ain't like, whoo, is it now? No, it's not. And so what happened was, once again, because I was bound by orphan thinking, I was unknowing, unknowingly doing this, what I was reliving that scene from that parable again and again and again and again. 
instead of realizing, like the son there in that story, that he really had, the whole time had a home in the father's embrace. The entire time, right? The father didn't reject. In fact, you know the story is powerful. It says that the father ran to him. Amen. And it says that obviously he put a ring on him, put a, put a robe on him, and obviously they killed the fat and calf, all that. He restored his identity. And that's what happened so often with me in prayer. I would come, head in shame, somehow getting there, and he would try to remind me who I was. And I'd go out maybe like this, whoo, but then I'd come back like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And what happened was, because when you have orphan thinking, you think this. You, you try to live for God instead of living from God. And everything is now is about, i got to live for him. And once again, it's this whole thing that, man, I'm a hired servant. I'm a hireling for him other than being a son. Let me show you two verses, and we'll wrap it up here. Go to Romans. Yeah, good job. So it says this. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Let me pause right there. Many of us, before we came into the kingdom, that was us. Fear. Bondage. And he's saying right here, Paul is saying, look, you got saved. And he's saying, what did you receive when you got saved? Did you receive a, a, another kind of fear? Yes? He says, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Once again, the most intimate way of saying who God is, right, is Abba. Look at the, the next verse here in Galatians. It says, and because you are sons, in your Bible, do yourself a favor and underline the two words, you are. Not that you will be. You are. Currently, you are sons. It says God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Praise God. Crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's great news, isn't it? So it's this. For me personally, slowly but surely, I began to learn that I was loved and accepted. Watch this. Because of who I am, not because of what I did. Now, obviously, we all understand there's a balance. Faith without works is that there's a balanced side, but religion would make it all that. Right? And, and the truth is, is it's from that position of sonship that all that happens. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter, what's it, 4 2? He said, I must be about my, did you not know I must be about my father's business? It came from the father, then that was the outflow. He didn't say, man, I got to do business so somehow he can be my father. Amen. Here's the thing, though. I guess in us today, what I really want to say is a slave's motivation is fear. A son's motivation is love. He saved us into his family, not a factory. There's there's nothing in the book that says that somehow I got to produce enough to meet my quota to somehow earn. Once again, I already have a seat at the table. I'm not under the table. I'm not left out in the cold. I'm not in in the servants' quarters. I have a seat at the father's table. And I need to rejoice in that. And I need to approach God in prayer like that. Amen? Amen. Let me show you this last thing. Because this is what God, God wants us to live from. He wants us to live from a position of sonship. Sonship is this. Sonship is a heart that feels at rest and secure in God's love. Do you get that? What's this? That, that is, let me maybe stop. That is more than just going, well, I know Jesus loves me. It, there's an experience that's there. That you've experienced God's love. Amen? What's the next part? And it believes it belongs. You understand that when you come to prayer, you know you belong there. Why? Because you are home. In fact, there shouldn't be any other place that feels more like home than being with him. Amen? What's this? Home, 
It is free from shame and self-condemnation. Somebody please hear that. It's free from shame and self-condemnation. I'll pause there and say this. Mr. Angelo said this this morning in prayer, and I thought it was powerful. We all know the Bible says, Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God can come and he can, you know, we can be sitting there in our cell in our prison on our little bench beside that little toilet, right? Awkward. We can be sitting right there and Jesus can come and he can open up that door. But it's up to us to get up and walk out of that freedom. Right? So he can set us free. And we go, Woo, I'm free. Look, the door's open. Praise God. Hallelujah. But it's up to me to get out and leave that shame and that guilt and that bondage and that sin there and go walk with him. Amen. So sonship is a heart that feels at rest and secure in God's love. It believes it belongs. It is free from shame and self-condemnation. It walks in honor toward all people. Somebody say all people. And is willing to humble itself before man and God. It's an orphan spirit wants to compete and defend itself. Sonship goes, he is my defender. Last thing, it is, it is subject, sonship, to God's mission. What's God's mission on this earth? That we would experience his love and we would give it away to every person that we meet. Amen? Amen.